This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away back. Goal. Shohei hits a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy and blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I want to start today on something that we normally don't start on. And that's ballpark. Because I actually had, if you didn't listen to the program on Friday, we were at Plank, and we were having a you know, celebration, getting ready for the start of the season, Spirit Week, fee-free Friday, was it, Cody? Yeah, and remember, all single-game tickets are now on sale, so athletics.com slash tickets. We have fee-free Friday. Try saying that really fast five times. Well, you did, and you kept you kept blurring fee and free together. Yeah, fee free Friday, no longer <laughs> no longer a thing, but that was what it was on Friday. <laughs> Get your tickets right now, great deals. There's no question. All right, so I went back into this area at Plank where we had a bunch of season ticket holders and some people that uh, schmoozing with the organization, and I had a conversation with somebody who really is in the know. Not somebody who's media, not somebody who's out in front of the media. Someone who's in the background who knows exactly what's happening and where we're at. And a lot has to do with politics, but a lot has to do with building. A lot has getting the project done. And I I talked to someone who's very credible and really enlightened me, made me feel better. Like, you know, because I've been on the, you know, you know, there's all this, oh, the A's are going to Vegas to meet and oh, what's going on in Oakland, all this guy, because it, it's, it, it, there's a lot in the dark, which probably is a good thing because it, it, deals will get done behind closed doors than if they're out in front negotiating against each other in front of all of us. That is something that I know for me personally in business. I rather handle as some as a caller once said to me on the post game show, town business will take care of town business. Well, town business is better done behind closed doors, like the way I like to do business, than out in front out in front of everybody else. So this this gave me 
This gave me a good feeling having this conversation about, listen, the new mayor, Shang Tao, she wants this to happen. Port wants it to happen. People want this to happen. The county's really out of it. It was a great conversation that made me think, yeah, this really has a good chance of happening. Really does. So that made me feel good. And what was laughable, and it just goes to show you how hard these things are, is let's face it, baseball's in a pickle. Baseball wants to expand. Dave Stewart is ready to go with his Nashville Stars. I know this for a fact. He's said it on this show. I have spent hours with him when I'm filling in for Brody on NBC Sports California doing A's pre- and post-game live. I've spent hours with Stu talking about this. And, yes, it is pretty cool to hang out with Dave Stewart. Just saying. You're like a little kid going, Dave Stewart. Um, But his team's ready to go. The minute the commissioner feels like, man, we can expand, Dave Stewart's group's ready to go. An all-minority-owned baseball team, it's going to be incredible. Uh, We'll do anything we can to help Stu out, the A's legend. I think it's going to be great for the game of baseball, great for Stu, is he's going to own the team. It's going to be awesome. But we can't have that happen until Oakland and Tampa are set. And Tampa came out with, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. It's like, are they... Is nobody following what's going on here? Is really? Tampa came out with this thing, folks. We've got renderings. We've got a happy mayor. We've got the Tropicana site. I've been there. It sucks. But the site's not bad. St. Petersburg. I was actually pleasantly surprised with St. Petersburg, Florida. It's actually a nice little town right there on the water. Had great restaurants and bars. Great old school hotel that's haunted. I didn't see any ghosts. But they have this plan. They have a plan. And everybody got excited. News conference and interviews and all this kind of stuff. But yet, when you've been in the trenches like we have been, you look at what they're doing and you're going, you've got no agreement. City council's never even seen this. All you have is renderings and an excited mayor. That's all you got. And you and, and 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 baseball people, I tell you this all the time. I tell you this all the time. Baseball people don't understand business. Writers, writers, broadcasters for the most part don't understand business. Not their fault. They just really haven't done it. So if you just followed our model and you listen to what they have in Tampa for this new site, not in Tampa Bay, in St. Petersburg, when everybody thinks it should be in Tampa because that's where all the people are, that's where you have the hockey team and the NFL team super successful. Everybody feels if the Rays were over there across the bridge, they would be super successful. But but they have this long lease in St. Petersburg stuck, and they're going to stay here, and they're going to redevelop this whole area where the trop is. But you just start looking at it, and I'm looking at our notes. A development agreement is tentatively scheduled. We talk about it all the time. We don't have a development agreement. They're talking about a development agreement tentatively scheduled to be presented. It's not even, they don't even have it on paper yet to be presented to the St. Petersburg City Council for approval in, in September or October. How many times have we heard? Wait till November, wait till this date, wait till that date. 
Wait till they're going to see it. Wait till they're going to vote. We've been doing this for years. Years. And they got all excited about this. And people in baseball, like, all of a sudden, you know, they're bringing them on Sirius XM and MLB Network's talking about it. Like, you people got no clue how far behind you are. You think where we are. We're past this stage. People have seen agreements. They've at least seen it. We've had port votes. We've had, we've had, we've had all these obstacles. We've had Dave Cavill going to D.C., Sacramento, all the things that you got to do. you got to talk to the Save the Bay people. you got to talk to everybody. You've got so many hurdles to go over. They're just, like, getting started, and people are, like, excited. And you just start to wonder, all right, baseball, where are you at? Our Fred Rod Manfred, the commissioner, he has talked such a big game. And I don't want to disparage the commish, but it's like, you know, you've talked this big game about, oh, we got to get things situated. Oh, we're running out of time. Oh, we're running out of time. I mean, how many times can you throw that threat out? It's like the parent that constantly says, don't do that. Cody, don't do that. Cody, if you do that, you're going to go to bed. Cody, if you do that, you're going to be on restriction. Cody, if you do that, we're going to take that toy away. Cody, if you, you know, and you keep doing it and you never pay off the threat. It's the worst parenting ever. All of us parents know that is the worst parenting. And it dry, if you're a parent and you see another parent doing that and they never pay off the threats, it drives you nuts. If I had an audience of parents in front of me right now, right? If this was like Oprah and I had a bunch of parents, everybody be shit. Yep, yep, yep. He's right. You know what I mean, parents out there. If you don't pay off your threats, the kids know it. They know it. And they won't stop and they'll keep doing whatever they're doing. So you've had this commissioner out there threatening everybody, threatening everybody, threatening everybody. And now does anybody take Cody, you do you take the threat serious now? Uh, no, because we have, we've seen it's not getting anywhere. And yeah, Tampa's excited. I actually found, um, I could play it for you. I found the audio earlier, uh, the Rays radio network, uh, our friend Neil Solans actually talked to the president of the Tampa Bay Rays, Brian Ald. Here's what he had to say about the, uh, renderings and uh, ballpark and everything going on in Tampa, St. Petersburg. I'm really looking forward to, for the first time since the RFP was issued, being able to sit down with the mayor and talk about how he wants this to go forward, where we're going to go, how we're going to get there, and in what order. Um, Because there's arguments to be made for any number of steps along the way. You know, we know we need a financing plan for the ballpark. We know we need a city council approval of a development agreement. Um, We know we're going to need some county support. And so each of those steps can be taken um, forward, and, uh, and I think we work on them all at the same time. Um, but what I think you saw today was overwhelming community support for a really great vision for this city and this baseball club, and that's exciting. <laughs> you know, we're going to sit down with the mayor and kind of see what how the direction we want to go. What? They're like at the starting line. Like there's this long race you got to run. And they're like, they're lining up at the starting line. They're stretching, right? They've put the tape out. There's the guy with the gun and everybody's kind of stretching, getting ready. You know, you're hydrating. Wow, we're in for this race, right? They haven't even started. We're excited to sit down with the mayor and see what kind of direction the mayor, the mayor's excited. Everybody's excited. Oh, let me tell you something. Once the, uh, 
once the negotiating starts, not everybody's so excited anymore. Now, how are we going to pay for this? Who's paying what? How are you paying? How are we doing this? Oh, my God, there's that thing called infrastructure. Huh. Because, you know, you build these things, you got to change the land, the land around them, right? So it's got to fit. But the land is just not for the actual ballpark. The land is for the people and the city. Streets, off-ramps, sidewalks, all that kind of stuff which is the responsibility of the city. City infrastructure, that's what they're responsible for, infrastructure. So you start talking about all that kind of stuff. But we're happy. We're happy, Cody, because they're going to sit down with the mayor and can't wait to hear how the, the mayor wants to move forward. I mean, they're so far behind. They are so far behind. It's unreal. So, ah, I just... Once again, I had a great conversation at Plank, gave me new optimism. Because I know people watch this show, then they go to Twitter, and then they go, hey, Brody, hey, hey, you know, <laughs> they, they start, the, I, Townsend was saying this, and next thing you know, I got, you know, Casey Pratt, hey, Casey, Townsend saying, next thing you know, everybody's texting me, you got something? And I love those guys. They've done a great, we have been, very lucky with Casey Pratt and Brody Brazil and their reporting and their longtime A's fans. They love this. They live this just like we do. And we, a lot of times let them do the reporting, let them do it. Let that, let, you know, that's not, it's not our job, but every once in a while, I like to throw some stuff out. Cause yes, I hear stuff. So you don't need to be going to other. I know, I know what I know. And I don't need to go to anybody else, and you don't need to go to Twitter and be asking it. I'm just telling you, if I have a conversation and I'm pessimistic as hell, would you say I'm pessimistic as hell at this point, Cody? Uh, yes, very much so. Because you know the difference between me? Let's see how much time we got. Uh, the difference between me and everybody else out there? I've lived this already. Look me in the face. I've lived this already. I worked for the Oakland Raiders. I was the last of the Mohicans. Everybody split. I was the last guy. I was the last guy still employed by the Raiders. I was the last guy that was still doing shows on the Raiders. I was still doing the broadcast. I was still doing the talk show. I was the last man standing. I was on the last Raiders flight ever as the Oakland Raiders. Their last flight ever was from Denver to Oakland, lost to the Broncos, last game of the season, flew back. After that, no longer Oakland Raiders. They were the Las Vegas Raiders. I was on the last freaking flight. I've lived this. I've lived city councils, counties, all this kind of stuff. So, yes, I am a little pessimistic. And sometimes I have a hard time believing that things will get done. But if I come on the air on my show, and I tell you I have a conversation with somebody that makes me go, makes me feel a lot better. Just know I wouldn't, I just wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that just to butter you up. I don't want to, I don't want to do stuff out. That's why, it's one of the reasons why I don't do stuff on the show. Because it's all fluff, right? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to interview, I'm going to interview the mayor. What's the mayor going to say? You think the mayor's going to come on and go and tell you her cards 
and get, she's got her poker hand. Here, let me show you my poker hand. She's not going to do that. I want to know. For me, I want to know what's going on on the inside. That's what I want to know. I don't want outside fluff. I want the inside. I want to know the negotiations. That's what I want to know. And I'm just going to tell you the conversation that I had at Plank on Friday made me feel a heck of a lot better. Really did. We're, you know, we're, we're still a long way to go, but you need it going in a positive direction. Then on the flip side, I'm looking at what's going on in Tampa. I mean, they're at the start. They're at the, they're, they're not even close. It's incredible how, how far off they are. And, and you hear the excitement? That was us years ago. They're light years behind us. And what does Major League Baseball do? Maybe they are doing stuff behind. If, they're, if they are doing stuff behind closed doors, you, can you say it's really all that effective? I'd say no, because nothing's really getting done. So there you go. Well, things are getting done. It's just so slow. It's like, uh, you know, Tampa's back to square one. They've sure. been remember they had they were going half their games are in Montreal, half their games yeah. are in St. Pierre. I mean, they are so far behind. It is unreal. But more importantly, let's talk about a subject that's a but. But once again, I wanted to just throw that out there today for you A's fans, make you feel a little better. Doesn't mean anything long term, but sometimes we need a little pick me up. There you go. I read this article. I'm just going to give you the title of the article. Is it? It says it all. The most volatile, jo- the most volatile job in baseball. Why an MLB hitting coach role is so hard to keep. Just think about this. You have a job. Let's say your job is a highly stressful job, and it is not only highly stressful. Mentally, it's physically. And you don't do it Monday through Friday. You do it seven days a week. This is a job that absolutely consumes you. You've dreamed of this job. You've got this job. And it takes up everything in your life. Yes, you want to have balance, but it's not really possible. And everybody around you knows that balance is not possible that this is your job and we're all going to be supportive of you in this job because it's not going to be forever. So you put everything you got, your heart, your soul goes into this job. And for seven months a year, this is all you do. And then when you take the time off of those seven months, the other five, you're mentally and physically training for those seven months. It is a year-round, high-stress, high, highly physical job. And you've got to be all in to be great at it. Now, the person you want to trust to help you be great in this job that, once again, is highly stressful, mentally and physical, you want to trust this person. And you want to believe that this person is going to do everything that they can to help make you better. Like your own job, you want your boss, you want to believe that your boss is doing as much as you are, that your boss is striving for the same things you are, that you're trying to do whatever it is you do to be the best at it, and you want your boss to help you be the best at what you're doing. That's what you want. 
And you're thinking about how much we pay these players. You think about what we're expecting out of these players. And we're really railroading them because front office people are are the most unaccountable people now. It's unreal. They have all this data. They have all this stuff that says they're smart and they got all this stuff. And then they tell their coaches, here's the stuff. And if it doesn't work with the the, the athletes, they've got to blame somebody and they're surely not going to blame themselves. They're going to blame the guy they gave the data to because they're not going to blame the athlete because they picked the athlete. Remember, the front office guy picked the athlete. So if he blames the athlete, that's on him. Can't blame the data because it's his data. Can't blame yourself again. So who am I going to blame? I'm going to blame the hitting coach. It's his fault. And we're gonna we're just gonna change these guys out every year like it's nothing. And once again, getting back to the player, you're in this high stress job. You got to trust the guy. You want to believe that this guy is going to do everything he can to help you be the best hitter there is. And he's going to work with you in a video. It's emotional. It's like, I mean, this article in The Athletic is phenomenal. Done by Cody Stavenhagen. I mean, you're like a psychiatrist. You're like a therapist. You're, I mean, you're biomechanics. I mean, a hitting coach, you're everything to these players. And these players got to trust you. And there's that bond because there's times in baseball you are going to struggle. And you're going to struggle. It, it's so it's so hard and you struggle and you take the game home with you and you can't sleep and you wake up and all you think about is hitting and hitting and hitting. And why can't I hit? And why am I struggling? My hands and everything. You know, I watch video. This game swallows you up. And that's why these pitching coaches and these hitting coaches are so important to have the right guy that the players can trust. But front offices, once again, are so non-accountable that they're they're using this this position of trust like it doesn't mean anything. And so now what have the players done? Well, I can't trust the hitting coach. I don't know if he's going to be here next year. He's telling me to do stuff, but he's gone after this year. So what have these players done? And it's the same thing on the pitching. Not as bad, but similar. They've gone to these outside coaches. They've gone to these gurus. They've gone to driveline. They've gone to these these super complexes where there's where there's these teachers who try and make these players better. And these players know that every year that they can go to driveline or wherever to make their skills better. Whether you're a pitcher, or you're a hitter, and you know they're going to be there. So when you come back and you got that new hitting coach, and the new hitting coach tries to, as any teacher, tries to get to know you, tries to get inside you, tries to find out what ticks. Players standoffish. Why am I gonna why am I gonna enter this relationship with you knowing you're probably gone after this year? You're out of here. Or in two years. I don't trust you. I have my own hitting coach that is there for me every day. He's there for me in the offseason. 
We've gone over everything about my life, about hitting, my mechanics, my nutrition, my workout, my recovery. This guy's here. I pay him. I trust him. You, you're paid for by the team, and I don't even know how long you're going to be here. I mean, any of you out there in your job, if you knew your boss wasn't going to be here in six months, are you going to listen to him? Or if the person who's supposed to help you, you know, is gone in five months, six months, are you going to trust him with everything? No. That's where we are in baseball. And this, this article in The Athletic, I mean, tells you everything you need to know. You want to know why hitting is down? It's the three true outcomes. Power, strikeouts, walks, batting average, no one hits for average. What's the game plan? I mean, look at the I just, just going to go down the line, not going to do the years on the job. This is the years on the job in baseball for hitting coaches. Two, nine, and the nine is Kevin uh, Seitzer, longtime Kansas City Royal. He's been with the Braves, but he's been fired before. But here it is. Two, nine, two, two, one, 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 two, one, one, five, one and a half, one, five, one, two, 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 one, two, 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 one, four, two, one, seven, two, five, two. Now, if you're following along, Cody, that's 30 numbers I just gave. What two numbers showed up the most? One or two. One or two. That's your hitting coach. You're only in baseball for so long. You only have so long to be here, compete, make money, take care of your family, set up your legacy, do all of that. And you're only going to trust so many people. Are you going to trust new guy after new guy after new guy after new guy? Are you going to trust that? Someone comes in and goes, hey, I want you to start working on some stuff. I'm not working on any. Hey, thanks. I got my team that I work with. I got Team Townsend. And Team Townsend, I got my guys wherever my think tank is, where I'm going to get better as a hitter. I, I the, the, They watch my at-bats. They've got all my video. We, You as a hitting coach, I don't even know who you are. You're coming in. You're no good to me. You're maybe going to be here one year, one or two years. Why would I trust you? Is that what you want for your athletes? Who's controlling this? Front offices. Front offices, they hire the coaches. That's why it's so important in Oakland, we've got continuity. That's why it's so important that we got guys that have been around for a long time, right? That you got Scott Emerson has been the pitching coach for a long time. He's one of the best in the business. And he's going to get all different kind of players. And he's going to get the players are going to change, but Scott Emerson is here. And Scott Emerson can set the parameters and how he wants everything to go from the big leagues down. So everybody is on the same page from the big leagues down and what we want from our pitchers. Darren Bush, who's no longer the hitting coach. You know, this is funny. I remember I used to get phone calls. It's Bushy's fault. Uh, Major League Baseball is flipping these guys around like Tic Tacs. Darren Bush is still, still here. Tommy Everidge is here. Tommy Everidge has come up through the system. You've got Crohn's here with them. you got people that have been here that work together, no matter what the actual title is. They've all been around. 
Major League Baseball, I mean, how many times do we have to hear about this, Cody, with Alex Smith? What's the problem with Alex Smith and the 49ers? They give him a different different offensive coordinator. Then it happened to Derek Carr with the Raiders. You keep giving him a different offensive coordinator. You keep giving him a different playbook, a different guy in his head. We understand that for football, right? Niner fans, you remember, Alex Smith every year has a different quarterback slash offensive coordinator coach. Every year it's a different playbook. This is not good for him. Finally, Harbaugh comes in, and you got Roman, and you got continuity. Alex Smith gets better, and the Niners start winning. Derek Carr had a different guy every year himself. It's not good. But in football, we recognize that. Why don't, Cody, we recognize that in baseball? Why do we not recognize that every single year you've got a different coach in these hitters' ears, and it's not helping? Vince is here. Before we get to Vince real quick, I'll tell you. I, after reading the article, 17 teams changed hitting coaches between 21 and tw- 2021 and 2022. This coming season, 10 coaches will enter their first year with teams. The average lifespan well, – lifespan is a bad choice, but the average span of a hitting coach lasts with a team is under two and a half years. you got guys like Robert Van Soyak, who helped Justin Turner and others, who's now the hitting coach of the Dodgers. Don Lotta, who helped Justin Turner turn around his career, and Van Soyak. Uh, you have Aaron Judge has his own guy as well. Craig Wallenbrock, who we've had on this show before, former scout, has his own hitting thing. Like players work with these guys, and you're seeing it more now. Guys are going to drive line. It, it's baseball is completely different, and you're right about the front offices d- dictating it. And it, there's like two guys that have just had their job over five years as a hitting coach, and it, that's truly alarming. Yeah, that's why you go outside because you can trust those guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we haven't had a break yet. I know. It's, I mean, I as you can see, I'm ready to go three hours again. I mean, I'm 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 I. You might still be in off season mode. I'm ready to get her going. Well, before we get to Melissa, we should after our break. We I would, want forty forty. I said maybe we should do forty forty. We've been teasing this for days. All right, let's just do it now. Oh, you don't want to take a break? No, we'll just take a break before Melissa. So I pose the question. What's going to be easier? Because somebody who came out with the article about the 4040. That was our good friend Sarah Langs. Okay. So 4040 may be back in vogue. I will always say this my man, Jose Canseco. Remember this bobblehead, the rookie of the year? 1986 rookie of the year, Jose Canseco, that we gave out. Brought to you by Kelly Moore Paints. Love me some Jose. Uh, when he did 40-40, really mattered because it was in a season that mattered. Let's play the highlight. All right. Here's uh, here's Jose Silly, number 40. He's leaning a little bit right now. He's running. There's the throw. Number 40, Jose Canseco, the first man ever in big league history. That do it. And now he's asking the umpire if he can take that second base back. <laughs> and he's saying no. <laughs> The umpire says he can't have it. He's getting a standing ovation from his teammates on the top of the dugout steps. And the fans. And the fans are standing also. 
Jose's going to ask Hirschbeck again if he can have the band. All around this ballpark. They're standing. Now he's going to get it. He stole it. It's his. He's got it. <laughs> That's great. Well, at Wimbledon, they hold it up over their head when they win a trophy, and he just gave a little one at that. Frank Simchak will take care of that. The Hall of Fame will be on the phone, but they won't get it. <laughs> 23 years old. He played in 158 games. He hit 307. I mean, this is this is like this guy's going to be one of the greatest players to have ever lived. He hit 307. Not 230, not 207 like Dermis Garcia. He hit 307. 42 home runs. 124 RBIs, 40 stolen bases, slug 569, on base 391. He had an OPS plus, not an OPS, an OPS plus of 170. So you're over 100, you're feeling good about yourself. The more over 100, you feel good. 170 through the roof. The great year. 120 runs scored. It's one of the great years you've ever seen in the game. That productive of a player, he scored 100 runs, drove in 100 runs, hit 300, 34 doubles, 42 home runs. There's nothing he didn't do. Stole 40 bags. That year by Jose Canseco is one of the great. And doing it at the Coliseum, mind you. 81 games at the Coliseum. Not 81 games. I'm not going to throw your, your boys from Coors Field on the bus. But not in Arizona. Yankee Stadium. Not in Philly. Toronto. Not the bandbox stadiums that you think of. He did it in Oakland. That is one of the truly one of the great years in baseball history. No, offensively. I'm no, I'm curious how many home runs he hit. All around years. I'm curious how many home runs he hit at home that year. 1988. 1988. Jose, that year at home, let's see, he hit 16 home runs at home and stole 19 bases. It hit 313. And hit 26 bombs on the road. 26. He actually hit better. He's like the anti Todd Helton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty pretty remarkable. What did he hit on the road? Three, 301. So he hit better at home, by the way. He hit 313 at home. Hit 301 on the road. Look at his batting air was a balls in play. That's Bapit. 347 at home. <laughs> he was a monster. On the road, his OPS plus was 181. He was a monster. He was a monster. All right. So, giving love to my guy, Jose. Who's next on the list? That cheat? That would be Barry Bonds who did it in 1996 with the In Giants. a year where the Giants were terrible. So, Bonds, Bonds being... Bonds is greatness. If you think Bonds is not greatness, you're out of your mind. Uh, Barry Bonds, bad year for the Giants, said to hell with it. I'm going for 40-40, yeah. and he did. Here's the highlight. Bonds goes on the first pitch. Reed is up throwing, but Bonds has done it. Barry Bonds has become the second man in the history of baseball with 40 homers and 40 steals in one season. And he will take the base home. 
He had the exact same numbers as Jose. 42 home runs, 40 stolen bases, monster year by Bonds, 308 batting average, over 1,000 OPS. Why? Because he led the league with 151 walks. That's all the guy did was walk. He was he's Bonds. He's Bonds. He's a 40-40 guy and a gold glover, for God's sake. Barry Bonds, I know, but you have – I can respect just the player. That's why I should be a Hall of Fame voter, because I can respect just the player. Barry Bonds was great. Giants won 68 games that year, by the way. They were terrible. <laughs> 68 Terr- wins. That's when I was getting into my career, and I was working at KMBR. I had first – Bonds just basically took over. Just took over. Just said, you know what? We stink. I'm going to be great. To hell with all of you. All righty. The great Barry Bonds, 40-40. So it's only happened twice until another cheat, Alex Rodriguez. And that is hit well into right center field. Anderson goes back and see you later. There it is. Alex Rodriguez is now a 40-40 player. His 40th home run of the year that ties Rico Petroselli for the most home runs in the American League for a shortstop. boy, Alex. 1998 Seattle Mariners. Uh, I don't have their their, re- their record in front of me that year. Let me pull it up real quick. 19. Where were you in 98 in the Seattle Mariners? I was nine. Uh, they were 76 and 85 with Ooh. Lou Pinella. Ooh. They weren't very good that year. Where was I in 98? I was single. And I was working at KMBR. They had three. They had three guys in that team driving 100 runs, and they lost 85 games. Yeah, who was pitching? Um. Well, like remember they would have traded Randy Johnson to Houston. No, he was there. Well, they would have traded them halfway through to Houston. Yeah, but he was he started the season. Jamie there. Moyer, Jeff Acero, Randy Johnson, Ken Cloud, and Bill Swift. Oh, Billy Swift. That's not that bad of a rotation. How are they that bad? Well, look at the ERAs though. Five and five eight five six three seven. It's nineteen ninety eight, bro. Yeah, You're ERA. in the middle of the steroid yeah. era. Hey, Jamie Moyer said, "Shut up! I got three five three throwing 80. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the numbers are they're pl- and they're pitching in the kingdom. You're pitching in the kingdom in the steroid era. Good luck. Like, look how great Randy Johnson is. He's got a four three three. He'd go on to Houston and he'd be, not lose. Yeah, he'd be unbelievable until he couldn't beat the Padres in the postseason. All righty, number four. Four times it's happened. We take you. I thought he did it as a cubby. Alfonso Soriano, when do, where were you and when did you remember this when Soriano was a gnat? Soriano with a good lead on a 2-0 pitch. There he goes. And he is in there without a throw. And that's number 40 for Soriano. Yep, that's what happens. The catcher tried to rush it. He couldn't get it out of it. Couldn't pull the trigger. There goes the base. The ground crew is ready with a replacement. All right. And he joins Jose Canseco, <laughs> Barry Bonds, and Alex Rodriguez as the only 40-40 men in the history of baseball. The 2006 Nationals won 71 games. Who was their manager? Davey Johnson. Uh, no, this guy's a Hall of Famer. Hall Frank Famer. Robinson. Who was their general manager? The one guy we can never get on this program. Oh, Jim Bowden. Bowden was the GM. And Dana Brown, who's now the GM of the Astros, was their scouting director. Why do you have Soriano at 39 home runs and 41? Oh, he had 39 home runs and 41 steals as a Yankee. Yeah, he did it a couple years prior as a Yankee. This year, though, at Seattle. Ah, one dinger away. Yeah, he went 46, to 90, 46 homers, 95 runs driven in, and 41 steals. He hit 277. 
Where do you finish in the MVP voting that year? Let's just let's just take a look. The one year Soriano was uh, a national in 06. He finished six in MVP voting. I got to be honest with you. I'll be honest. I, I wouldn't you say we're honest on this program? You didn't know you forgot he was a national. I told if you would have said name me all the teams he played for, I would have said Yankees. I would have said Cubbies. Uh, who else? Uh, Texas. It was an A Rod deal. That's right, Texas. I would have never said Nationals. Most games, Jose, most games, Alfonso Soriano ever played in his career was 160. 159 that year with the Nationals at age 30. He was a good. He was a good second baseman. He was in the A Rod deal. Yeah, when he he went, got dude. His to career Texas. numbers. Look at his career numbers for a second base. 412 home runs. Yeah, 412 home runs. 1,159 RBI, stole 289 bases, career 270 hitter. Um, his total bases, he had 3,874 total bases, and that's nowhere near what Hank Aaron did. But I'm starting to look more at what guys do with total bases, and it's pretty remarkable. Like, no one's going to pass Henry Aaron's record of total bases, which is like 6,000. No, 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 no. I think Hembo had a status that pull host kid, unretire, hit a home run, and like I forget how many consecutive at-bats, and he'd still be well behind Hank Aaron. Well, th- it goes back to – you want to talk about the greatest player of all time? It's really, really hard not to say Henry Aaron. I know. Henry Aaron is third in hits. Think about that. Only Pete Rose and Ty Cobb have more hits than Henry Aaron. Then look at all the home runs. Look at all the RBIs. This guy was an offensive machine, and from what they say, obviously we weren't born – he was a terrific right fielder with a hose. You're trying to tell me a guy who should have the most home runs and he's third in hits and most in RBIs and was good defensively and played for how long? Eight million years and mashed in the postseason when he did have the chance to get in there? Kind of tough not to say Henry Aaron is not the greatest player of all time. Uh, Henry Aaron. Check the tape. Henry Aaron. Take that for data. Uh, Not data, it's data. Two-time batting champion. Do you go Tw- data or data? I, I I actually go back and forth. Data. 25-time All-Star. 25-time All-Star, and he only played 23 years. I don't know how that. Look at the RBIs. 2,297. 2,297. 6,856 total bases. The next closest is Albert Pujols. He's like, let me pull up. Let me pull up. Wait, no, let's do that. 755 home runs to go with 3,771 hits. Uh, I asked the question before Melissa Lockhart. I asked the question to you, and I'll allow you to change your answer. What's going to be easier to do now? Because they think 40-40 is coming, and there's going to be quite a few guys. What's easier, 40 home runs or 40 stolen bases? I think the steals are. I I told you prior to this year it would have been home runs. You said home runs first. I went, ah. I went Lee Corso. Not so fast, my friend. Yeah, I said prior to this year, it would have been stolen bases would have been harder to do or easier but to do. But now so home runs would be easier to do prior to this year. When you tell people about the rule changes, they go, "Wait a minute, what? You can only throw over twice?" Yeah, yeah. If you don't give them the third time, it's a balk. You got smaller bases. I mean, if if I had any type of speed, I am taking the biggest Ricky Henderson leads and forcing you to throw over. I'm going to force you. I am going to force you to throw over. And if you don't, I've got such a big lead, I'm gone. The running A's, baby. We better become the running A's. Well, so, what a lot of people don't realize, there's only four guys that had 40 home runs last year. You know Aaron Judge. 
You know Schwarber. Schwarber, yeah. There's only four. Not that many guys. Now, now that we're testing for PEDs. Who, who are the other two? I can't remember. But Schwarber led the National League and obviously yeah. Judge uh, the American League. But there was only four guys that had 40 po- uh, polar bear. Uh, polar Pete, bear do it? I think Alonzo had. Let me, I have it right here. Um, Mike Trout and Pete Alonzo each hit 40. Trout into Pat. Austin Riley hit there. Trout snuck in 40. That was very light. Very under the radar. Wow. Like, wow, did he have Trout at 40? If he didn't have a bad calf and all the injuries, I think Trout would be an easy 40-40 guy. My pick, uh, Ronald Acuna will be my pick this year. Let me tell you something. That guy's turned out to be overrated. Who, Ronald? Yeah. Can't stay healthy. What's the best ability? Availability. By the way, real quick before we go to break. Most total base in MLB history. Henry Aaron, 6,856. This is from our friend Paul McKinney of ESPN. Albert Pulos, 6,211. Pulos could unretire, homer in 161 consecutive plate appearances, and still <laughs> rank second all time. <laughs> He'd hit 161 straight home runs. And still rank second. I'm telling you, Henry Aaron's stats. And he's the, he was the nicest man. I got to interview him one time. I was so nervous. I interviewed the great Henry Aaron one time, and it was like he was such a gentleman. He was the nicest guy. Anybody anybody who talks Henry Aaron will tell you, salt of the earth kind of guy, right? Raised Dusty Baker. I mean, they were playing in the South. I mean, Henry Aaron had to help a lot of these young players, just not African-Americans, players of color. Henry Aaron was the guy. That, that helped guide people to be successful. I mean, Henry Aaron helped so – and Henry Aaron helped white guys too. I mean, Henry Aaron was just a, an amazing – I don't know if they even called him a captain then, but Henry Aaron was the leader, and he was a leader to people on other teams too. Henry Aaron is – you know, we, we, we do a lot about a lot of different players in sports. I don't think Henry Aaron has ever really gotten his due of what he meant to the game what he meant to people inside the game, what he meant after his playing days. I mean, this guy was massive, massive. And the stats are just. Yeah, look him up someday on a baseball reference. They're yeah. incredible. Just go look baseball reference. Jordan Diaz, I like that. I mean, we yeah. kind of. I said I wanted. Right now, no, right now, no one's looking at uh, Jordan Diaz right now. No one's going, yep. Nobody. You don't want me to go chalk and say Zach Geloff? That's chalk. I know, that's why I was joking. That's chalk. Everybody's been talking about Geloff. What's not going to be chalk is if he's back at AAA. Then you're like, you know, second-round pick out of college. You've switched positions. Everybody's been talking about your bat. You know, how many years you need? How many years do you – we hear a lot about, oh, guys need time. Other organizations? Not so much. We see 22-year-olds, 21-year-olds. We see young guys coming up. Young. Uh, Braves and Orioles are on line one and two. They're bringing up guys that are, I mean, these guys barely are 21, can buy a drink, and they're bringing guys up. And we're talking about college guys that we have, oh, they got to have their at-bats. Like, my God. I'll give you. Go. I'll give you a guy. I think Hogan Harris could be a guy. Hogan Harris? He's on the 40-man roster. He's, great name. He's protected in the Rule 5 draft, left-hander. See what his stats were last year. Because left-handers. I mean, we love left-handers. Can we get any righties? We love lefties and catchers in this organization anymore. Catchers, my God. Last year in uh, – Lansing. He pitched all three levels. 
two and four, a three four two ERA in twenty two starts. Is it strikeouts? Hundred five strikeouts and seventy three and two thirds. None of that means anything. None of that means anything. Your ERA doesn't mean anything. The only, the only, the only. If you have a good ERA, it matters. Bad ERA doesn't matter. Look at all the places you play. You playing in Vegas. What was his ERA in Vegas? Here's a great point. What was his ERA in Midland? All right, hold on. Yeah, okay. So, in, uh, no, we'll start with Lansing. Hayek, 138. But people are going to say, that's Hayek. Yeah, seven starts in Just Hayek. go to double A. All right, double A. He had seven starts. His ERA was 167. Is that any good? It's very good. Now let's send him to launch ball. Let's, like, it's like you're playing on the moon, which is Las Vegas. Uh, he was 1-3 with a 6-3-5 ERA and 8 starts. So how am I supposed to determine? A guy has 1-6-70, I can see it, 1-6-70 ERA in AA, and AAA is 6.35. It's ridiculous. Strikeouts? Hell, I don't know. Everybody strikes out. It's almost if you don't strike some – if you don't strike out a lot of guys – that's when you have to start wondering if it's a problem. If you tell me, because we hear that all the time, he strikes out a lot of guys. Well, he better, because all the hitters are striking out. If you're not striking out people, that's the red flag. Uh, it, it, there, should no be, there should be no celebration. Guy in the minor league strikes out a lot of people. That's the norm. Yeah, uh, high, wa- high walks, though. He walked, where is it at? He walked 43 batters in 73 and two-thirds. A lot of walks. But, again, he's 25. He had a good good year until he got to Vegas. But, remember, Jared Kading had, an, Kading had a great year in Vegas, and it didn't translate in, in the major league because so, he was the he was against the norm in Vegas. He was actually pitching very His well. His numbers weren't great. They were just good for Vegas. Yeah, what, were, what was his ERA? He was pitching really well down there for a while. Uh, in Vegas last year, uh, Kading was six – well, it got inflated, but it was – Six and six is a four seven one. That's when are you going to listen to me? I told you, you you were acting like he had like a one something. But I think before he got called up, though, remember he got sent back down, so his ERA could have gone up. Whatever, it's four seven one at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, you spend a lot of time down there, you're not going to have a good ERA. Three two six in Midland. What does it all mean? Nothing. Hopefully, it means hopefully nothing. It means nothing. We don't know until they get up here, and you got to get out. You got to get up here and get outs. What you did in Midland, what you do in Lansing, what you did nobody as Vi the great Vida Blue. You know a guy who's won the MVP and the Cy Young and has three World Series rings, and with all this new way of looking things, uh, it's come out now that Sal Bando, Jay Jaffe, yeah. Uh, a fan graphs who has his jaws for the Hall of Fame and said, you know, maybe we should have really looked at Sal Bando different. Vita Blue's the same way. Vita Blue, you say all the time when he was on, uh, when he used to do the Giants pre and post on NBC Sports Bay Area, he'd laugh when people talk about it. And he, the Giants' old AAA was in Fresno, and guys would like, oh, this guy's doing this in Fresno. And he comes up, and Vida would be like, it's not Fresno. Oh, I, I remember that drop when it's we had that. It's not Fresno. It's not Fresno. You're not in Fresno anymore. You're at the big leagues. So you can have whatever numbers. Tell me whatever. How many? Sky Bolt was one of the greatest <laughs> players in the history of baseball down at Las Vegas. Had that translate. Uh, but I think he's a brewer now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Stop. Stop giving me numbers in the minor leagues. It helps get you here. But what do you do when you get here? How are you going to stick? Are you going to stick? 
Don't tell me. I in Vegas, he had a. Oh, yeah. Michael Taylor. Remember all those phone calls? You weren't even around. Michael Taylor, Chris Carter. I used to take those phone calls Michael every Taylor night. went to, to Texas? Like University of Texas, right? Or is that Michael no, no, Choice? No, no, no. No, he went to like University of Arlington or something like that. Look it up. Michael Taylor, I want It's something Arlington. Texas of Arlington, Arlington University or whatever it is. Because there's Michael E. Taylor who plays in baseball right now. I don't want to confuse him with this Michael Taylor. He went to... Oh, well, okay. Uh, actually, he went to Stanford. <laughs> Who went to Arlington? I think it was Michael Choice. Michael Choice. Yeah, Michael Taylor. That's right. He went to Stanford. Michael so, Choice went to? Something Arlington. University of Texas at Arlington, yeah. Because yeah. I, I remember doing the interview with him going, man, you grew up right, right. I mean, I don't, where did he grow up? Fort Worth. Well, he said he was born in Fort, Fort Worth. Fort Worth, yeah, but he spent a lot. He went to Ranger games. I remember Michael Choice. But I remember Carter and Taylor, Carter and Taylor doing the Ace Post Game Show. Carter and Taylor, Carter, Carter ended up having a little bit of a, you know, at one point led baseball in home runs. He was a good player. Well, home run hitter, not a good player. But, but. yeah, he had a career. What not going to take that away from him. He what? had a career. But everybody thought Carter and Taylor are going to be the stars of baseball and they're going to be A's, the Twin Towers. And Why is he not coming up? I mean, Carter went out of. Had a bunch of bombs in Milwaukee, and then we never saw him again? He, correct. Uh, Chris Carter. Let's see. Chris Carter, 158 career home runs. Yeah, the year it was – yeah, Milwaukee. He played in 160 games in 2016 to 820. Led 40, baseball, yeah. yeah. 41 home runs. He hit, over th- he hit over 35 home runs twice. Houston one year, and then two years later with Milwaukee. But what But what do you see there? A lot of strikeouts. And what else? Low batting average. Low batting average doesn't matter. What else? Uh, oh, his OPS isn't very good Guess either. Guess what? Batting average starts to matter when it's that low. You want to know when batting average matters? When you don't hit your weight. Take that to the bank. Like, like Cody, over the years, tried to, oh, batting average doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. 245 is what he weighed. When you, when, when you hit below your weight. He's never, he, never hit his, he never hit his weight. Look at that. Guy hit 41 home runs the next year he's out of baseball. Why? There's 30 teams. You're trying to tell me 30 teams looked at a guy that hit 41 home runs. 222, 41 home runs, 206 strikeouts. He had 94 RBIs, and everybody said, yeah, no thanks. You can't play defense. You don't make contact. Running into 41 home runs, everybody said, Yankees gave him a sniff, gone, never played again. He actually, his career um... – his career OPS plus was actually 108. Why didn't anyone sign him? Uh, yeah. He was 30 years old. He was in still the prime of his career. So on base percentage wasn't very good either. Actually, not bad. I mean, uh, well, 312 is on the lower end. So when you tell me average doesn't matter, I'll always go, hey, t- uh, tell me how, how it worked out for Chris Carter. For some reason, this this guy, I'm going to see if I see if I'm correct. Rick Porcello popped in my head because I think he got called up to the from to Detroit from like low A. The great Rick Porcello. He pitched, yeah, in 2008, he pitched in high A going eight and six. With Where two- is high A for the? It was Lakeland back Lakeland, then. Florida? Yeah. And so, that, isn't that their spring training too? I Probably, that might be. Uh, eight and six with a two, two six six that year in 24 starts. The next year he was pitching in the major leagues for the Tigers at t- age 20. <sighs> I mean, called it from high A. Directly to the majors. And it was like crazy when we called up Jordan Diaz. Like, why is this crazy? He's hit. He's what, 22? Diaz is 
Yes, 22. Why not bring him up? You're just wasting at-bats in the minor leagues. I think he just turned 22. Yeah. Yeah. He he turned 22. What was he hitting? In the minors? Uh, what what did he have to prove left in Las Vegas last year? In two uh, between in Vegas last year, he hit 348 in Midland. He hit 319. Great, he's hitting 348 in AAA. How, how long are you gonna keep doing that? Yeah, 319 in, in Midland and nine. What do you want him to win the batting title in Vegas? Who cares? I mean, he's playing in the uh, uh, what league is this? The Colombian Winter League right now, uh, or he was. He's hitting 339. Well, Melissa said he just hit a home run. Oh, last he's in the night. he's in the Caribbean World Series. Uh, but in, in the in the Colombian Winter League, he said he's hitting through hit three through three thirty nine. Hey, sometimes you you got a guy, and and I said it last year. I said, you know what? What, what impressed me the most about it is they know he's got nowhere to play. Who poo pooed me on that? I said I think it speaks volumes that the A's, who are never or haven't been in recent years, looking to elevate young players fast. They brought this guy up. With no position. They put him at second base. He didn't even play second base. At the big league level. Hey, um, you got an infielder's glove? Go play second. That's how much I I think they believe in him as a hitter. That they went against their norms. He doesn't have a place to play, but he can hit. And he really can hit. And he's young. Might as well. Someone's like, well, it was the end of the year. Well, how many times do we see them go, oh, it's the end of the year. Just bring somebody up, even in bad years. Not very often. That young. There's something. I don't care. And David Forrest could say I'm a moron, which he has said before. Um, (laughs) But I think there is something that Diaz, they looked at and said, this kid's special. And we got to see. We want to see him compete against the best. There's nothing left for him to do in Vegas. Nothing. You've already seen what he can do in Vegas. Problem is you got to find a position for him to play. But Diaz, the fact that they brought him up, I think it speaks volumes. I just don't think it was a, hey, flip a coin. Should we bring him up? Eh, okay, let's bring him up. I think it was calculated. I think they saw something. And Because, first of all, why would you bring a guy up if he didn't have a position? You want to talk about hurting a player? Let's expose him. Why would you do that to a 21-year-old? Let's bring him up and expose that he has no position? Why would you do that? That's not smart. They believe that much in his bat. Bring him up. Who cares what he plays? Let's see him hit. So I think that's a good call by you. I I, I I I would say, and I would bet on it, and you know I'm not afraid to make one, um, he's really high on their list. They're not really talking that much about it. So, we, you know, oh, Geloff, Soderstrom. I bet Diaz is this guy that deep inside the walls of Jack London. <laughs> Inside the walls down in Mesa, they're all going, we got something special as a hitter here. When I was in the office the other day, all of our scouts and stuff were in the office. I uh, saw the great Billy Owens, Scott Hatterberg. What did you say to him? Well, they were, all wa- they were all walking into a meeting. I didn't really get a chance to talk to any of them. I did hear this yesterday. I texted you about it. Apparently, there's this big uh, pickup basketball game that happens in Arizona during spring training that A.J. Preller and his guys play. Apparently, David Force is a big place in pickup basketball. We're going to have to talk to him about it next time we see him. What's his, Tim Kirchner plays. David Kirchner's a big basketball guy. Uh, John Shea plays in these games, apparently. Force is a hooper? Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'll have to ask him about it. Well, how do you see Force? You see him as a low post guy? Is he hanging out toward three? Strikes me more of, his, more of a guard. 
You think he's a guard? You think he's playing? Yeah. You're pl- he's playing out by the three point line. I don't know. I don't he's know. not in there banging, getting rebounds. Yeah, I don't. I don't see him doing that. No, Kirkshin. Yeah, I see Kirkshin getting some rebounds. The five six. Kirkshin's like five four. Uh, I think it's five. Yeah, somewhere around there. Apparently, he's a really good pickup player, though. That's what they were talking. Preller and Buster were talking about on the podcast yesterday. He's legendary. He's like a hooper. Yeah, he's a big hoops guy too. And Preller's not a big dude either. Yeah. So apparently, a lot of these guys play in these games. I'm. I would love to be just a. Fly on the wall just to hear and, and see what they watch. What watch these guys play pickup basketball like five thirty in the morning in Arizona. And you always wonder like why would they make that deal? These guys all. I mean, look, Preller and Forrest are playing hoop together. How many deals have we done with the Padres? Yeah, well, it's. Have you noticed there's certain? Look at the great relationship between Cashman and Bean. Who do we always do business with? The Yankees. Now it's the Braves. Preller and Forrest play hoops together. Who do we do deals with? San Diego. Yeah, we do deals with Braves. Like, there's certain teams we do deals with because the relationships, it's business. You do, you do business with people you are comfortable with. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Josh, how are you? Doing great, guys. How are you? Uh, we're doing fantastic. Hold on, just having a technical difficulty. I had problems on the video. It's all good. As technology trying to figure it out, we got these fancy iPads are not working. I, you know, I, I explain. I've been to the Baseball Hall of Fame a few times. I'm very fortunate that my grandfather who played Major League Baseball, he was the MVP in 47. You guys got a couple of his things there, and I've been down to the bowels and and just seen what you, just a little bit of what you guys have there. I try and explain to people who are from the Bay Area, I'm like, Cooperstown's like a little mini Lake Tahoe. The lake's beautiful. The town's around the lake. Uh, this time of the year, you're getting, I know you've gotten a lot of snow, but there's just something special, just not the museum about the town that makes the whole experience just magical. Yeah. I mean, and what's funny is I, I tell people all the time that I'm not sure there's another place in America like it. So it's, I've never heard anybody compare it to Tahoe, but that doesn't, I've been to Tahoe and I can see that. I mean, it, it is in fact, in my mind, way more than the baseball hall of fame. That's obviously what we're known for. And certainly that's the reason I'm talking to you guys, but there is, yeah. there are so many cool things about the main street, about life on the lake and about just small town America. I mean, it is the quintessential American village. And frankly, if you've got any listeners out there who have not visited, I just can't tell every people put it on their bucket list. And then when they finally come do it, they're blown away by how it exceeds their expectations. It's that cool. And, and it doesn't matter. It's neat. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've, I did the ceremony in 99 with Brett, Ryan, and Yount, and Cepeda. So you can go at that time of the year, or you go in the fall when the leaves are changing. I mean, it's just breathtaking when, whenever you get there. And I'm so happy for this class this year. You know, Fred McGriff is, is a guy that, you know, I've been doing this a long time, but I, re, you know, I was a fan first as a kid growing up when Fred McGriff was in Toronto. I was in high school and then throughout college. And then early in my career was the end of his career. So I got to see him as a fan and I got to see him doing this for a living. 
and I'm so happy because he's such a great individual. He's a great guy. He's a, you know, you talk to all the people said he was so good for our game. When Fred McGriff got in, how'd that make you feel? Well, it was really cool and in in for a number of reasons. One, I mean, you, you don't see a whole lot of people get to that point of the era committee process and get a 16 out of 16 votes. That's just, that's just very rare. I think that the reason why often they're there is that there might be some disagreements on whether people feel like they belong in the hall of fame. And so obviously you still have to reach that 75% threshold, but I thought it was really, really cool that we had somebody who was unanimous and it certainly happened before a lot of times with managers or those um, who, who are just getting on there for the first time. But um, I also, on a personal note, I was fortunate enough to work with him in 2003 with the Dodgers and, um, it, he was going to LA to hit number 500. I was going to be there for it. I, I had never <laughs> seen anybody hit 500. So I was really excited. And unfortunately it didn't happen. He wound up getting hurt and he got, I think he needed 21 homers and he got like 12 or whatever it was. But, um, I just remember we would go to him because he was this guy on, on the chase for 500. We'd go to him all the time for requests. And I, I can like, I can picture his face. Every time I would go to him, he'd give me like a, a very quizzical look like, what, what do you need? And then he'd break into this huge grin. And I just remember he was, he had this huge grin and he did everything very, as you said, he was a professional. He, everybody in the game wanted to see him get in. Um, he's just a great, great human. And he had an unbelievable baseball career. And I was really, really happy for him when, when he crossed that threshold. And also Scott Rowland, what terrific player, the defender, the bat, Obviously, the way we now look at baseball more than ever with with analytics kind of changed the way we look at players and very happy for Scott because, you you know, when you go through this process, you start to realize certain positions haven't got as much love as other positions. And one of those positions is third base. Yeah, there's no doubt there seem to be less third baseman for whatever reason. I mean, there's. I think people have their theories, but I do think that um, whether it's modern analytics or even, I mean, you look back at, at some of the, take somebody like Ozzy Smith or, or others who have, who have gotten in maybe because they were either defensive players or two-way players. I don't think it's unheard of that a guy's defense should help him get over the hump, but I think because he wasn't, he wasn't um, Mike Schmidt necessarily offensively. Um, it took him longer to get the, the, to that point, but I, it's been pretty amazing to watch even before I got to the Hall of Fame, have him, have him go from whatever it was, 10 or so percent of the vote to 75 in, in six years is is really cool. And I think it just it, it shows you what this process is. I think people, the writers take it very seriously. Fans are, I mean, strong opinions on every argument. It is amazing. Every day I get. In fact, I got one yesterday that, that you guys can appreciate. I got an email uh, or excuse me, a, an actual handwritten letter about Gene Tennis. And if yeah. I look at Gene Tennis, I Gino. would realize, and it was, it, and this person was so adamant about why Gene Tennis belonged in the Hall of Fame. And our job is not to have an opinion one way or another. It's to set up a process and let others vote. And then we honor those who, who cross that 75% threshold. Well, I want to get into you, want to get into it with you about how the presentation has become so spectacular. It's like everything else in life. Like we remember the NFL draft. You just, you picked up the paper and you found out, who, who the team drafted. And now it's this television production cities are vying for it. I mean, everything's changed. I think what, what the MLB network does with this whole process and having Brian Kinney and MLB now there for three days, I thought it was phenomenal. And of course your interview, but back to the process, I think for us broadcasters, 
we think about, and especially when I got into this business in the late 90s, there were still a tremendous amount of baseball writers. There were still a lot of calmness. Papers were still thriving, but they were just starting to be in trouble. And now we know where the newspaper business is, and it's sad. I was always a newspaper guy. I wanted to go out and pick it up in the morning and read the sports page. But just it's it's sad that we're not there anymore. And so many of the great writers ha- have left us or they've retired. A lot, um, you know, the way the newspapers started gobbling each other up, so many lost their jobs. Just the baseball writer and who the baseball writer is has completely changed. We now have writers voting who have never written for a newspaper. They've only been online. Have you thought about, just because the way the job of the newspapers has changed and the writers have changed, have you thought about changing the process? Because that's one thing you guys do control. I try and tell people all the time, you're independent of Major League Baseball. You guys run your show. Have you thought about, you know, broadcasters? I mean, to think that Bob Costas doesn't have a vote or Vin Scully never had a vote. Uh, Have you ever thought about changing the process to be more than just writers? Because as we know, committees have elected more guys in the Hall of Fame than actually the writers. Well, yeah, I mean, we think all the time, I mean, honestly, all the time, we're having debates internally here about what is the best possible process. And I think to this point, we, we have not felt that the baseball writers aren't the best process for that for that first run, for that first 10 years. As you know, it used to be 15 years, and it used to be that .com people weren't part of the BBWAA. But I think yeah. as that entity continues to evolve, and, and welcome in other people who aren't dyed-in-the-wool newspaper writers. And I should I should start by saying my, my father uh, was a dyed-in-the-wool newspaper writer and eventually an editor, and my mom taught journalism forever. So, I mean, I, I, am, I come from that. Um, yeah. I think that group does an incredible job of really analyzing what's out there. Does that mean that broadcasters would do a, a less good job? Not, not necessarily. Um, but we actually, we have, quite often we have broadcasters who end up on the ERA committee uh, who will sit in that room of 16 and be part of it. I, I can remember Jaime Harin just sat in that room last year and, and any number of others over the years who, who are considered part of our historian group. So um, up to this point, we have not really honestly entertained the idea that, that the BBWAA wouldn't do what they've done, but that doesn't mean that we'll never consider other people's thoughts or ideas, proposals. I mean, for every every positive argument you have about one group, you have the, the pushback on the other side. And the thing we always hear about broadcasters is that they have, they're, they're too close to it. Yes. They see a lot of games, but they're, they're not, they're biased. They, they can't look at this the way a, a, a journalist would look at it from an unbiased perspective. And I'm not saying that's true or false. I just know that every time someone says, why don't the broadcasters get a vote? The argument I hear on the opposite side is, well, because they're fans and fans should, should be somebody who doesn't have a vested interest. And how could Vin Scully vote against a Dodger? I think there's probably some truth to that. I knew Vin very, very well, and I can't imagine he would have done a whole lot of, I don't think that guy belongs in there. I'm, I'm not going to put him in. So I don't know. It, it's a great question without a real easy answer, because I think for every argument on one side, you get the one on the other. But we think right now the system works pretty well um, with with two systems, two different avenues to get in, the, the BBWAA and the ERA committees. There was an interesting article recently in the USA Today, and it's coming out again. It's being reprinted in Sports Weekly, their monthly edition, about the steroid era maybe getting away from the Baseball Hall of Fame. I know there's going to be the suspicion uh, of certain guys, Veterans Committee. You're still going to have some guys on the list that have tested positive before, but do, do you feel that we're getting closer to getting away from that cloud and it's blowing away from Cooperstown? 
I mean, I guess it depends on how you, I mean, if you're, if you're only looking at it strictly from an election standpoint, um, I mean, certainly I think a lot, that period of time where testing wasn't in place or where you see, saw a lot of the names that are most commonly cited is tied to that era. Yeah. A lot of those people are in fact coming off of the, the BBWAA ballot, but every three years, we're going to be looking at the 1980 and forward group. So I think a lot of names who either have suspicions or who have tested positive or for whatever other reason, I think they're going to continue every few years to get looked at as they should, because I do think it's important that we continue to look at everybody who's who's eligible in, in MLB's eyes. Um, but I think the thing that most fans probably don't realize, and I know you do because you've been here, but I mean, this isn't just a single hallway with plaques. I mean, we're talking about a three-story museum here that actually has an entire case on the PED era and talks all about what that meant to baseball. And we've got interactives where people can weigh in with their opinions on whether they feel that's okay. And was just part of the game or whether they would, it would change their perspective on someone. And um, you could make the same argument for the sign stealing scandals of recent years or of the 1951. I mean, there have been so many of these controversies over over the years that that's what people love to debate. So I suppose in a way we're not going to hear about it every single year because a lot of those names came off of the, the baseball writers ballot. But I think every three years for sure, you're going to continue to hear that conversation. Um, and that's okay. We don't shy away from it. We really want to be the repository of history, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. And I know it changes throughout time, but I, I've talked to people about it, the timeline, when you're walking the timeline and you're seeing like some of the Yankees wives, charms, their charm bracelets that they used to give the charms for world series and all-star games. My grandfather was in seven all-star games. So I have one of my grandmothers. Uh, you have the, the license plate of Cy Young. I mean, all the different things that are in this timeline, that's what people, and that's why I recommend yeah, going going for a ceremony, and if it's your guy, your player is great, but it's so crowded. That's why I've always reckon, recommended the fall is so beautiful because the leaves are turning. But you want to be able to stand in front of something that you really want to read and and, and be in, and really get to know everything about it without having thousands of people on you. Fall is a great time of the year, and that's one of the things about the museum is that if you have that kind of time, it's going to take you a few days to take it all in. I still love one of my favorite things. It's all the World Series rings. to see all the World Series rings yeah. throughout the year. I mean, the stuff you guys have is just spectacular. Well, thank you. I honestly feel like I couldn't say it better myself. I mean, when you have someone like you who's been there, we do. We encourage people to come for induction weekend, but that's one out of 52 weekends. And there's so many other amazing times to come here, even literally right now. I mean, there's no snow coming down. Is it cold? Sure. But we had, I don't know, 50 people in the museum today who basically had the run of the place. And that's that there's incredible value in being able to take your time over a couple of days, take stand around in an exhibit for three, four, five hours and feel like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do the second floor on this day and the third floor on that day and come down to the plaque gallery before. I mean, there's, there's, there is a lot to see and do here. And I I love your perspective on it because you're saying exactly what I always say every time I do these interviews. So appreciate you teeing that up. It's the collection is epic. And in fact, when people ask me all the time, what are one of my, my favorite artifacts? One of the things I often cite is literally the one you just said that, the Gehrig charm bracelet just kind of boggles yeah. my mind that that's and and every single one of these things they're they're literally priceless. I mean, you cannot even put a value on what that would go for on the open market, and it's just one of forty thousand artifacts that we have. And so we don't like to talk about the value. It's not really about the value. They're all priceless. They are truly 
history in our hands. It's pretty cool. And that's the whole thing about like you, you like you're like going to the Babe Ruth exhibit and there was like there i remember there was a trophy of babe ruth hitting a hole in one it's like where do you get and that's why the cy young thing because personalized license plates became something big like what late 70s the 80s cy young was rolling it's c 511y he was whatever year it was he was rolling with a personalized license plate that always stood out to me another thing i want to bring up because a couple of my buddies have done it where their kids youth baseball You've got these complexes that are just kind of outside Cooperstown where youth baseball teams come from all over the country and compete against each other. And then all these kids get to come to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Just how important is that for our youngsters to be able to come play and then really see the history of the game to help us grow the game? Oh man, you just, you just nailed it. And I was very lucky for years when I was with the Diamondbacks, we always talked with my son that 2022, we were going to get to play in Cooperstown. And then sure enough, we moved here and his team from Arizona came out last year. So I got to experience that whole thing as a parent, he stayed and played with his Arizona buddies. And um, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, they, they, first of all, they get to play for a week in in some of these incredibly manicured fields and um, you get to stay on the base and and bunk up and all that. It it really is an unreal experience for the kids that can do it. Um, But then, yeah, to be able to come over here and spend time and we quite often we've got, we have like scavenger hunts that they can walk around and try to find a bunch of artifacts. I mean, frankly, the biggest challenge is that because their baseball schedule, when they come here, they'll have five, six games in a week sometimes eight or nine games in a week and trying to find five hours to come to the hall is a challenge. So uh, quite often they're coming and trying to squeeze a visit into two, three hours. And I don't recommend that for anybody unless you really are coming and don't have any other time. But yeah, those tournaments are responsible for bringing tens of thousands of people to Cooperstown every year. And um, I I give them credit because they really, they help us spread the love of baseball. And I actually had the, the head of one of those tournaments recently say to me, if our tournament was, in, in New Jersey, we're not getting these kind of numbers. I mean, people are coming here because it is Cooperstown, because they want to take their kids to the Hall of Fame. And because when you come with your family, I mean, the thing we talk a lot about here at the Hall is connecting generations. And so quite often you'll see grandparents will come along with the parents for that week in Cooperstown. And then all of them are coming to Cooperstown together. And it's just an unbelievable family trip that people will remember for as long as they live. You know, when you're in our business and you're watching television and you're watching something like this and you look at kind of like the green screen effect behind me, it's the Oakland Coliseum, it's the sets that are always, when you see Jason Stark, Ford C. Frick Award winner, and our buddy J.P. Morosi, and you got Brian Kenny, all three of those guys have been on this show many a times, but you're seeing them in the plaque room and you just see how beautiful the wood is with the plaques, very understated, with the lights right on the plaques, and MLB Network's doing those shows. You came on the show. Uh, To me, it's the best background, literally, in television, maybe other than what we're going to see this weekend (laughs) where we are at Pebble Beach, where they're (laughs) – Pebble Beach pretty spectacular. But that that set right there, when MLB Network's there for three days – I think it's so important to help grow our game and help to grow uh, grow the Hall of Fame and give, give people an idea what they need to come see. Just talk about that relationship between the network and you guys and how it's benefited both. 
Well, it's honestly, we can't say enough good things about the network because frankly, that everything you just described came from COVID. We used to do the announcement down in, in Manhattan. Um, we do, or actually Secaucus at the MLB Network Studios. And when we couldn't really get everybody into one place, we did the announcement from here and everybody went, man, look at how beautiful that is. Yeah. And then this year, to MLB Network's credit, they they sent they added an extra day and they did a whole another day worth of shows out here. And so, I mean, they really they they have done an incredible job, not just with the announcement um, at this time of year. They they cover the announcement wall to wall in December with the era committees, and then they come out for the for the classic weekend when we do the the MLB uh, classic in in May, which is Memorial Day every weekend. They're standing right there. John Pomerosi's broadcasting from the dugout from the game that we, the old timers game we play. And then on induction weekend, they're standing there during the parade on main street, interviewing fans and interviewing players. And then of course the big day on, on the, the induction ceremony, they do an amazing job. So, I mean, I really, I can't say enough great work words about what they do because they genuinely care about it. And I think anybody who's watched their coverage knows that. And um, yeah, we, we, we thank them quite a bit for doing it. It's, and I, I tr- genuinely appreciate you sharing that with your your listeners and viewers because it just is th- – this place is someplace really special, and it, and it does exist. As you said, we're not an MLB-funded entity. We're, a, we're our own little nonprofit in central New York that most people don't realize uh, has to fundraise and do all the things we do to to be able to operate. And uh, it's it's an amazing – I've only been here 18 months, but, man, is it an amazing place to to live and work. Well, I can just tell you, it was, uh, I was still in college at the time here in the Bay area. It was in the early nineties and my mom reached out to the, I can't remember the man's name who you, who was the president at the time. And we went there as a family. So they're at the baseball hall of fame. You've guys just got my grandfather's bat and ball for his 2000th hit. You got wow. uniforms. You can look at Bob Elliott. He was the first third baseman ever to be the MVP in baseball in 1947 was my grandfather. So I know he's, I remember the MVP wing, his name's there. And we went there and went down below. And I tell people all the time, it's like, it was like the, the men who were bringing the bat and the ball out there in white coats, white gloves, handing you. And you're just like, and I remember, a bunch of stuff had just arrived. It was Mark McGuire. It wow. was just like, it was like stuff. What you're like, I can't believe this is real. Cause you, you see all the stuff in the hall, but, and I know you guys have built more storage other places. I don't know where, but I know I've been down below and it's just like, Oh, it, it's like, it's almost like you're at the FBI or something. It was like, it was like I mean, everything's so sacred. Perfect. But, um, yeah, it, you it, nailed it. I mean, that- do you ever get a chance to, I mean, I, I know, you haven't been there that long, but you ever get a chance just by yourself? Just you're, you're there. You're just walking through. It's just you. And, you know, John Madden's always said at the baseball, at the football hall of fame in Canton, Ohio, he believes at night the bus talk to each other. <laughs> Have you ever been in there in the plaque room and walking around the hall of fame by yourself? Just going, wow. Oh my God. It happens almost every, almost every day because I, I generally am here before it opens and then I leave after it closes. And I, it, 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 um, you you absolutely feel the the history. You feel the spirits. I haven't heard anybody talking to me yet, but there are a number of times. Um, there's an amazing video. If you go on our YouTube channel, you'll see a really cool video that they made all the players come to life and walk through the museum at nighttime. It's really cool. And in fact, actually, I should also say, because you're talking about the, the collection storage space, which is just kind of mind blowing. And, and that I do every once in a while go down there, but not, I mean, it, every time I'm down there, either to give someone a tour or to go, deal with an artifact of some sort it does kind of boggle your mind what you see in the in the storage and but um 
what we what that's always been reserved really basically for VIPs like you and your family. We often do say once you've donated something, we're always gonna that that's how we survive. So we're gonna make sure that the donors of these artifacts, their great grandkids can come back someday and see it because we want them to be able to that's how we get them to donate this stuff. Or donors who are helping fund the museum will take some some very high donors downstairs. But what we actually added in the last couple of years um, is a special experiences program where if you're an A's fan, you can come and, and basically purchase a special A's experience and we'll we'll bring four or five really cool artifacts upstairs. Um, it, w- it won't be the full-blown underground tour like you're describing, but it's it's uh, we actually just uh, launched our new website last week as well, and you can check out baseballhall.org. And under the special experiences, you can get that chance to, to look at Gene Tennis's bat right in front of you or – Ricky Henderson, a base that he might have stole, or all these amazing things that exist. Um, we feel like there's a good, there's a way to bring that to not just the grandkids of MVPs, but to to the fans who want to be able to come and really help our mission. And uh, it, it's it can be customized by team or by a number of different ways. So I'd encourage people to check that out if you're coming to visit. Does that not have birthday Christmas present written all over it? All the time. We get it all the time. That's what people, a lot of times people do buy these as gifts. And uh, we have a limited amount of them because we only have so many staff that can do it. But um, we have expanded the program in the last year. And uh, it's really starting to, we're, we're, we're doing multiple of these every single day for people coming in. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I mean, as you can tell, we're big fans of the Baseball Hall of Fame. We're always promoting it. Uh, I, I believe every baseball fan should get there as many times as possible, but you need to get there at least once. However you can get there, you fly into Albany, you can get there, and it is an experience of a lifetime. It's truly – I've been very fortunate traveling around the country, been to a lot of great museums. The Negro League Museum is unbelievable in Kansas City. Uh, a lot of great museums but there is nothing like the baseball uh, hall of fame it, it, there's nothing like it so thank you for coming on we appreciate it and let's do this again during the season anytime you want thanks Cody. appreciate how much you support us and uh good luck to all the a's fans out there this year we do have the great vince catronio and that's the problem with vince is he's got like <laughs> eight or ten different swing coaches in golf and that's why he's never put it together because every year he's got a different guy telling him how to hit a draw or a fade right vince there's no doubt about that and uh it hasn't gotten any better and i haven't beaten dominic since he was 12 and he's 28 so uh the battle continues but i'll get out there and tee it up so hopefully when you come down here we'll get a chance to do that isn't it crazy when you think i mean i don't know how much you heard of that but if you're a professional athlete and every single year or two years, they're giving you a different voice. How how is a professional athlete? You only have so many time. You only have so much time in this game. This game is so stressful mentally, physically. How are you going to trust somebody with, with with your swing and how you earn money if you don't even know if this guy's going to make it through the year? Yeah, those are two things, two important words in that statement. And I did listen to a portion of uh, the discussion about the movement of hitting coaches is trust developing trust. And even though there are players, and I know Cody mentioned a few of them, there are so many players that have their own hitting coach outside of the organization that they are in contact with, that they send videos to that they have communication back and forth with. And as a manager of a big league team, plus the hitting coach and the assistant hitting coach, those that are putting together their game plans for you, how does that all work together how do they all develop that circle of trust and then the other word you said was swing yeah they're teaching them how to swing or they're teaching them how to throw if they're at driveline oh he's velocity went up 
four miles an hour. Can you teach them how to hit situationally? Can you teach them how to pitch in certain situations? And I think for me, that's always been the challenge. While I think there's no doubt that places like Driveline and other of these personalized coaches on the hitting side have opened up the door to areas that have made players better in certain areas. They're not, they're not the end all, at least not for me. They have provided uh, a part of the foundation for a player to reach and get to and have success in the major leagues, but there's so much more involved standing in that box at Fenway park with 30,000 people screaming at you. You got a runner at second base in a one run game in the eighth inning. You got to get that guy home. And the ability to do that outside of talking about, well, how do I swing? Where's my swing plane? Where's my launch angle? Where's my exit velocity? As opposed to where's the ball being pitched? Where can I put it in play to, to successfully get that job done? And I think that's the ongoing conversation slash even battle at times between major league staffs who spend an ordinary inordinate amount of time looking at video and trying to find the best path for their player to have success in situations and the guy that is teaching a certain way to swing and hit and to react to a baseball they sometimes they they don't necessarily uh, mesh as smoothly as, as everybody would like that to happen you know, the good thing about Oakland from a coaching standpoint, we're like the opposite. It's it's not the players stay the same and the coaches change. It's the players change and the coaches stay the same. So really the good news is, at least from our standpoint, from the big leagues down, you know, I just mentioned Scott Emerson. You've got a game plan from a pitching coach that starts at the big league level and gets filtered all the way down, and it has stayed like that for years. We're not flip-flopping guys every single year, which is just would, would be disaster. Flip-flopping players and coaches every year would be an absolute disaster. Well, at the uh... – Shintaro Fujinami press conference, as much as we may not want to listen to Scott Boris talk very often, in this particular case, he made a lot of sense. And why were the A's the team, in his mind, with the Boris Corporation, to give Fujinami the opportunity? Certainly a one-year deal allows him to build some value. Maybe that allows him to exploit that and get more money and something somewhere else. But he also said in that press conference, I look at the Oakland pitching model, how they've made pitchers that have come through our organization better. And he pointed out more than one pitcher that, that was doing that. And I think that speaks volumes to what you're saying, that players do come into this system and they, they find the communication, the language, the, uh, the ability to prepare, that it does make them better and it allows them to uh, experience uh, success at the major league level. All right, so you're down in the Valley of the Sun. Are you getting those vibes? You getting ready? How how you feeling as we're not that far away? Well, a couple of weeks ago was, uh, as you know, you were down here with, with Cody for fantasy camp, and that Saturday night I spent some time with the campers, and we had a one-on-one session with Barry Zito. That was a lot of fun, and an hour basically unfiltered with Barry, talking about all of his great memories with the A's and singing career and just how things have changed and how his life has gone. That was a lot of fun. And that was, you know, kind of setting the spark because, you know, I saw Shooty and saw Dallas and, you know, saw Steiny and, you know, Carney Lance for all the guys that are a part of uh, the camp experience for the, for the folks that came down to enjoy fantasy camp. And I got a chance to ask a couple of guys, Hey, have you seen guys in like Tommy Everett? Have you seen guys over at the complex? Yeah, I have. And been working with some guys and, talking about Ramon Laureano, how he looks 
fit and he looks great. He's really determined. Maybe a little more of a chip on his shoulder than normally that he has, which he's had since he's been in Oakland Athletic. And I think that's a good thing. So, yeah, I, I have certainly uh, begun to, to, to get excited about what are the stories that we're going to tell this year. Now, we know when a team loses 102 games and really didn't go to extraordinary measures to change uh, the path, at least for this year, that it's still a rebuilding path, that there are going to be struggles. What I hope for is, you know, Esture Ruiz, you know, what's that story going to be in spring training? Fujinami, you know, what's that story going to be in spring training? Kyle Muller coming over as well from the Atlanta Braves. What is that story going to be? And then having players, not a knock on the guys that wore the A's uniform the past couple of years, but guys with a little more big league cachet. And Ledmus Diaz, what does he have left? Jesus Aguilar, can he actually bounce back to a certain degree? You know, Jace Peterson, a plus defender, a guy that's been in the big league several years that that gives you a little bit more of a sense of expectation. And I think looking at those kinds of things are what I'm anxious to see come together. I want to see Ken Waldachuk in the beginning of spring training. I, I really hope that he has a, a good opportunity to make the club in the rotation. I want to see a healthy Paul Blackburn, a healthy, you know, James Caprillion. And just watch that pitching composition uh, competition take place and anxious to see velocity out of the bullpen, something that we talked about last year that was lacking trying to find more control. If they can find better control and more velocity in that bullpen, and the fact that Zach Jackson and Danny Jimenez got some closing experience, has got to help them as they try to continue to get their footing on the major league level. I think that does strengthen uh, the chances for the A's to hold on to some leads when they've got them late in ballgames. So those are the things that I'm hoping to see play out over the course of of spring training. Of course, Johnny Doskow joining us, salt of the earth human being. It's going to be fun to have Johnny back in the fold. He was with us in 2012 when Ken was out for a bit of time. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a fun, fun time for us in the booth. Fun to have Johnny around and his infectious energy again. And just interested, as we always talk about, we're trying to find stories to tell. And I think that will begin when spring training gets in the way in a couple weeks. Plus, finally, it's for now, again, this is for Arizona standards. It's been about 15 degrees below normal here. It's been in the 50s more often than not. It's just not oh. breaking through to get wow. to the 60s and 70s. Wow. And the golf tournament of the Super Bowl next week in town. And the spring training is ready to go the following couple of days after that. God bless you. That winter you guys have gone through. I mean, I, <laughs> Look, I, I said it to the campers yeah. during, you know, you know, when I was there on that Saturday. And I've really thought a lot about the folks in Northern California with what everybody went through weather-wise this, this winter, seeing it from afar. I'm just hoping that folks – can continue to find a way to, to push forward and where I can't imagine the kind of uh, conditions everybody had to deal with. Well, I was wearing shorts at fancy camp and everybody was making fun of my white legs, but I didn't care. I was just happy to be in shorts. <laughs> well, you'll definitely have that opportunity. It's, it's, I think it's going to be a warmer and drier winter or spring training time than what we had last year. That's encouraging as well. So it's been a while. It's been since 2019 since we had what what we would consider a normal spring yeah. training. You know, starting on time. Not of the, you know, the thoughts about pandemic or COVID or you know lockouts that everything could kind of start on a normal schedule. Hopefully, you know, spring training is such a fun time of the year for fans, no matter where your team is. You know, every you know as, as they say, everybody's in first place, and you know, uh, in spring training on opening day. But it's so much more relaxed and so much more fun, so much more access to players and coaches, getting autographs and just you know watching the workouts. 
I do hope that folks are making some plans to come down to the Valley of the Sun and enjoy that over in Mesa. Well, yeah, I, you hit the nail on the head with like getting back to normal. I think we've seen that starting with the winter meetings in San Diego, having the first one again. You know, now we got fantasy camp full bore. Now we're going to do uh, pitchers and catchers. I mean, yeah, if it's starting after all this time to, to really feel normal. And, you know, we're going to be doing a little two-hour pregame Monday through Friday before your guys broadcast. And what kind of excites me, and I think for you guys too, doing a play-by-play is that, We've got some fights. We got some jobs that need to be won, but there's like legit competition, something I don't think we saw last year. Last year, you're, you know, coming out of the lockout, you're just trying to find players and find a team. Now, wouldn't you say we'll be a little more interested in this spring because there's going to be some true fights for some jobs for these 26, for this 26 man roster? I think it's fair to say, knowing the what was put in place last year, what the A's were doing for 2022, that that spring training could arguably be the worst in the history of the club just because of the what they had to do. You know, every other day it seemed like they were having a press conference saying goodbye to Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, you know, Sean Manaya. You know, the, all these things just kept on happening time and time again. Chris Bassett leaving, and that that's behind them. It was it was such a crunch time for the front office, knowing what they were asked to do which is tough enough to do to try to make the right kind of deal for your organization moving forward, but in a short amount of time, short window, and not allowed to really build the kind of momentum you want to making those kinds of deals if that's what you're going to do. And so this is different this year, and I think the pace for David and the front office has proven that. I've talked to some folks about the international signs, and I know this is something that's probably down the road, but there's a lot of folks that are really high on the Morales kid, the Cuban uh, pitcher that the A's signed in the international draft he was the best pitcher in that draft so you're you're just hoping that things are going to move forward you're going to see zach geloff in camp you're going to see tyler soderstrom in camp you know you're going to see young guys that are really considered uh, a significant part of the of the winning future for the oakland athletics and get a chance to watch them perform so i think there's a lot to be excited about for this spring training much different than what we had last year and you have to say the division got better I mean, the Houston Astros are the world champs. Who are the true contenders in the division against the Astros? Well, all the money that the Rangers spent on their starting rotation and Jacob DeGrom finding that they that the uh, that the Rangers are in agreement with his same kind of uh, thought process on what he wants to do for the amount of money that they gave him. It's it's, it's second only to school districts and Mike Hampton in, in Denver with that comment that DeGrom made. He simply wanted to be paid and he was paid by Texas. Uh, and still, with with all those with those uh, all those acquisitions that they made, I Andrew, still think Mike Hampton really cared about those school districts in Colorado. I mean, because yeah. from what I hear, I mean, those are really good school districts. Yeah, I, I don't know whatever happened to Gage Hampton, his son at the time that was going to school in Denver. I wonder what kind of a student he became because Did he of go that to Harvard that after that. <laughs> but Texas spending all that money, and people are still wondering if they're going to get you know to eighty-five wins with all the money they spent two years in a row. Uh, you know, for me, it's still all about the pitching with the Angels. Yes, they they made some moves to strengthen their roster in terms of offense. And if guys go down like like uh, Anthony Rendon, they've got more of a of a proven player like Gio Urshela that's going to step in for him as opposed to what they went through in the past. And then, you know, Seattle, they've, you know, all this time trying to get back to the postseason, they've done that now. Now the expectation is you're supposed to go back and see how they handled that different type of 
a thought process, but it's all, it all goes through Houston. They're, they're really deep. They're really good. They continue to, when players leave, they, they put somebody else in and they seem to not lose much of a beat at all. And it's going to be a challenge to watch them perform or try to, to battle against them as best you can. Yeah. It's so interesting being down at the winter meetings and when the teams try to balance moves with how the optics look and the PR and it's like Houston Astros, they don't care. They don't care about the PR. They don't care about what their fans think. They're like, when they're ready for a guy to go, Carlos Correa, are you going to sign this? Well, that's not enough for you. Okay, see you later. Garrett Cole, see you later. Verlander, you just won a World Series and the side with us, but eh, we're not looking for that money. See you later. They're going to do what they do. And, and it's, I, I, it's very impressive where we are in 2023 that a team will truly make decisions and they're not worried about PR hits. Nope. And, uh, you know, they, they fill in Jeremy Pena, Kyle Tucker, uh, Hunter Brown now stepping in probably into the rotation from Valdez elevated uh, probably to the top of that rotation minus Verlander. That's what the, that's what the Astros have done. Now it'll be an interesting year because you're looking at potentially the end of uh, the window with Altuve and Bregman who have chances to be free agents in the not too distant future. So how, how does that play out? What's their next move in that regard? How does that affect those two players and their decisions moving forward? How does that affect that organization moving forward? But until proven otherwise, it's got to go through go through Houston to, to, to win the West and, and advance uh, through the American League. No question for me. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. How about in the American League? How do you see the American League this year? Well, it was interesting. The, the money that the Yankees spent, it kind of reminded me of 2009 when they went after CC and, and Mark Teixeira when they, you know, they kept Judge and they got Carlos Rodon, who was in a free agent year, proved that he was healthy last year. But before that, He's had some health concerns, and you know they gave him a lot of years, and wonder how healthy he will be long term for them. Uh, they're still the best team in the American League East. I thought it was interesting this past couple of weeks seeing all the contract extensions by the Tampa Bay Rays of all teams that are you know signing guys to long term deals. First, there's was Wander Franco last year, that big deal for the young player, the superstar, and waiting, and then you know, Pete Fairbanks and uh, Jeffrey Springs, and they you know they brought in Zach Eflin. From the Phillies, uh, they always find a way to be competitive, and Toronto's got to—they got to step up. I mean, they've got to be a team that you know they went after Bassett now to kind of step into their rotation. I—I I suspect they will be, you know, a team that's going to be worth looking at. A lot of people are picking the White Sox in the Central. I don't see it no. yet. Uh, you know, they've got a first-year manager. There's always some challenges for a first-year manager doing that, no matter how. Well, people think of uh, Pedro Grafal, who's uh, who's running things there, minus Abreu and Andrew Vaughn now full-time at first base, a talented young kid out of Cal. Uh, see how they hold up with, with their pitching. And, you know, the, the unfortunate story with Liam, which is so uh, difficult to listen to a guy that has lifted up the spirits of so many people from basically worldwide, let alone coast to coast. And now he's in a, he's in a fight with a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, wishing him all the best. But that's a big hole to fill for – for the White Sox in the back end of their rotation. I, I like what the Twins quietly have done. And we saw last year with a young team, with a team that made contact, with a team that pitched and caught the ball, what the Cleveland Indians were capable of. And I think they're going to be right in the hunt again this year. And before you know it, the Super Bowl is in your neck of the woods. Glendale. My house, by the way, is available on VRBO. I've got a two-story house about 40 miles away from Gilbert. I'll put it up online. You guys can have it for $5,000 a night. How about that? 
No, I Maybe. seriously. Sir, it, that mean, can I, if I up it to eight and I get you somebody, do I get a little cut on this? <laughs> it's it's a crazy week next week because the, the golf tournament is always Super Bowl week. But yeah. Both being in town at the same time, it's going to be uh, as wild as, can, as you can imagine. Next week's going to be a lot of fun. I'll be at the golf tournament next Thursday. I always go on Thursday with Veronica. Always have a great time sitting at 16. Uh, drinking Bloody Marys and screaming at golfers. It's my wife's favorite <laughs> sports experience. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we're going to Pebble. I'll, I'll be at Pebble tomorrow. It's uh, These tournaments are amazing, but the waste management, definitely a big party. And then going to be a good Super Bowl. I mean, the Eagles are a terrific roster. We know how explosive the Chiefs are. So uh, it's going to be a good – now I know a lot of Niner fans up here are not happy, but I got a feeling we're going to have a good one in Arizona. Well, it's tough here, especially because Brock Purdy played played high school ball about five miles from my house uh, here locally at Perry High School, one of the rival schools to where my kids went to school. And you know, what an unbelievable story and just a heartbreaking ending. You, you, you don't know if they would have won or not, but you would, if you're a 49er fan, you wanted to be able to at least put your best foot forward and compete with your guys that they had at the end of the year, meaning Purdy, and see what that might have meant for them. So that was unfortunate. I, I, for me, if I'm looking at the two teams, I look at the trenches and I like the Eagles right now. I think their, their offensive line and their defensive line are, are two uh, really stout parts of their teams. I think that's going to be the difference. So I'm going with the Eagles uh, in the Super Bowl next week. So you're saying bet the beach house on the Eagles. Well, I wouldn't go quite that far. And, and my son used to catch ground balls with Pat Mahomes when his Patrick Mahomes when his dad Pat pitched for us with the Texas Rangers way back when when they're both about eight years old. So, uh, but I'm going to pull. I think it's the Eagles are the are the, going to be the the better team that on Sunday. All right, enjoy, have fun at the golf tournament. Enjoy the. When do you when do you come to spring training? February twenty first. And how long are you staying? It's a great question. <laughs> we leave the twenty fourth, Vince. Okay. Well, look forward to seeing you guys down there for sure. I can't wait. I seriously, it was so nice to be down there and to get out of the rain and to put shorts on and, and just, it, it was, and we, and we found a new spot to broadcast up in that crow's nest mm-hmm. there at the spring training site with all the, all the, all the fields around us. So we're, mm-hmm. we're really excited about coming down. Fantastic. We'll get you to the house. We'll have some homemade margaritas and some homemade Mexican food. We'll have a great time. Beautiful. Be well, my friend. We'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Tony. Anytime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Well, Melissa joins us from The Athletic as she's put out a bunch of articles lately as she's getting fired up, ready to go for the season. Do we have her? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I, 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 I'm ready to go. You know, like this is the time for me, you know, we start getting ready for spring training. Normally it's like, you know, I, I was down at the AT&T yesterday at Pebble Beach. I'll be there on Sunday. Then after that, it's like, it's go time for baseball. So I asked Eno Saris this, and I want to ask you, like, give me three things that you look at. When you look at a franchise, whether it's the A's or anybody else, heading into a season, 
what are the three things you look at to say this is going to be a good team and these are the three things they'll tell you why? Yeah, I mean, I think past performance, you know, is often the first thing you look at, right? So you're going to look at what somebody's coming in having done the year before, how healthy they finished off the season before. Um, then you kind of look at the strength of the young players that are coming up and what the depth chart looks like. Uh, if you do have an injury, do you have guys behind that person that can kind of step in and do that? Um, you know, and then, and then you kind of look at what's around them too. So is it a division that looks winnable or is it a division that's stacked with like the best teams in the league? And you're going to kind of be butting your head up against that, uh, the entire year. So I think those are kind of the three main things. There's a million sub factors that would go into. Sure. But I like it. Yeah. 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 But I think that's what I would look at. Yeah. Eno mentioned depth too. And that's why I like asking all of you guys who cover the game, uh, what you think is depth of your 40 man roster is definitely big. I'm not so – so, you know, some of your – now, we love Eno. He's our national baseball columnist who comes on, obviously, uh, your colleague at The Athletics. Some of your colleagues, though. Whoa. Jim Bowden coming in hot with the A's being 30th. We're ranked 30th. Well, there's no way we're the worst team in baseball. Yeah, I, I – wouldn't even begin to be able to rank every single team. Uh, I think after you get past the first four or five, it's kind of a, a crapshoot what comes after that. But, um, you know, I, I think this will be a better team than last year. I, you know, like, I don't know, that's not a particularly high bar, but I think in general, you know, you look, you look at the depth of the roster, it's better. You look at the experience of the players coming in, you know, there's a little bit more there. The upside is much higher than it was with a lot of the players that they started off last season with. Um, so, what that translates to vis-a-vis -vis everybody else in the league, you know, I couldn't begin to say, but I do think this is a better team than they started off last season with. Well, I, I'm not going to play Homer here. And people do, and it's been done on this show. I didn't say anything. But when people tell me, you know, I'm excited about Ramon Laureano. First of all, I love Ram Ramon Laureano. Ramon, Ramon Laureano is the kind of guy I would have loved to play with. He is hard-nosed. He plays the game like a football player. That's just not a cliche. It's real. When you saw him in the COVID year go after the Houston Astros, there were no <laughs> fans in the stands. There were no – this wasn't showboating. There was only cardboard cutouts. Ramon Laureano went after the Astros when no one's supposed to touch each other, get near each other, to hell with that. I mean, that's the kind of guy I want to play with. I love Ramon Laureano. But someone said, I'm excited about Ramon Lord. Excited? I'm not excited. I'm worried because I need to know who is Ramon Laureano not on PEDs. Because last year, he came back from the suspension clean, did not play well. So I don't know if there's excitement in the air. I think there's a lot of question marks. Who really is Ramon Laureano as a player? Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, this is a very big year for Ramon Laureano, which is, I think, partially why I'm optimistic about him, because I do think that that fire that you talked about is something that uh, really does drive him. And I think starting off a season where he missed the first part of it because he was serving the suspension and everything else that was going on with the team, I don't know if he was ever fully engaged in that frame of mind, you know, the way that he would be. But the motivation here, I mean, this is a make or break year for his career, really. Like, is he the guy 
that I think two years ago you could have thought about maybe being someone that signs like an eight-year deal worth a lot of money? Or is he a guy who's going to bounce around in a million teams and sign one-year contracts or minor league deals for a long time? And, and I think this season makes or breaks that for him. Um, so whether that motivation is enough to get him across, whether he could stay healthy enough to be that for more than 120 games, you know, that's the most he's ever played is 123 games in the season. You know, you need more than that from a guy who's going to be the best player on your team. So um, there's a lot that's going to be going into that. But I do think that this motivation and the drive that he would want to prove that last year was an aberration, I think will, will help him. Well, let, let, let's talk about a potential dilemma here for the A's, which is a great one to have. We know ideally Seth Brown playing right field. They'd like to see Seth Brown play right field. We thought DH first base, right, but now with Aguilar here, in an ideal world, Aguilar's going to do a lot of the DHing. One of these kids, Garcia, Noda, somebody takes over first base. And then you have Seth Brown right. What if Estuary Ruiz is everything the Padres have told us? Because the people with the Padres have said this kid can be really legit. He's going to have to play. And he's a center fielder. So if I know Brown's going to play, and I know Ruiz is going to play in center, it, you know, what, what, where does Ramon Laureano really fit in? I mean, I don't see why Seth couldn't play left field. You know, like I know ideally he's been a right fielder. That's where he's sort of lined up. But he's played everywhere in the outfield. He's played a lot of center field. He's played left field. He's played right field. I've seen him all three places dating all the way back to Stockton. So um, I think that's the easiest solution. I think Laureano's arm is still a huge weapon to have out in right field. I think if you can keep him out of center field and, and keep the wear and tear off his legs, that's probably better for him anyway. So, uh, you know, it would take some adjustment for uh, Seth to kind of see the diamond from that side of it, but it's not like he hasn't done it before, and I think he could handle left field. Connor Capel, in a way, kind of remind me of Brian Giles, kind of that short, mm -hmm. stocky guy. Um, his bat stays through the zone a long time, a real level swing, makes a lot of contact, needs a place to play, didn't have it in St. Louis. Am I over, overly optimistic that I think Capel should be a guy getting a lot of at-bats, or should I pump the brakes? Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, his track record in the minor leagues going into last year would not have made you think that this is a guy that you're going to want to give a ton of at-bats to. But he really did seem to change his approach quite a bit. Uh, the contact rate bumped up. The walk rate bumped up. Um, and I think those are usually pretty good indicators of someone sort of figuring it out. Uh, you know, he was a well-regarded talent in, in the Cleveland organization early in his career and just never quite got the numbers that you sort of would have, uh, you know, wanted to see at the levels that he was at. So, uh, you know, I think he's going to be someone that needs to prove it. But if he is the guy he was in September in that time that you saw, I think there's no reason why he shouldn't get a lot of the bats. Have you studied this Noda guy that we got in the Rule 5 from the Dodgers? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's interesting because he's a guy who uh, not only is he a, a power hitter, which I think they really, you know, obviously could use, um, and he's a guy who can get on base, but defensively, he's actually a very good first baseman, and I do think that was underrated in terms of what they were missing last year from Matt Olson. Like, it wasn't just the bat. I think the glove was very sorely missed at first base. They never really had anyone that was a plus defender there at any point last season, so um, if he's a guy who can come in and be an above-average defensive first baseman, uh, you know, that certainly creates an alignment for a, a shift-free infield that will be, um, you know, 
a pretty big bonus, especially if he can run into maybe 20 home runs in a year. Um, that's a lot to ask a rookie, a rule five pick. You know, I think we, we have to wait and see, but I think that's the potential upside of someone like him. I mean, the reality is the reason he's available is because they went out and got Freddie Freeman. I mean, that's no knock against right. Noda, right? I mean, Freddie Freeman is one of the best players in baseball. He was essentially, because we don't allow lefties to play in a lot of different spots. I mean, he was essentially blocked. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers have probably a double 40-man roster. You know, like talk about depth, right? Right. This is an organization that yeah. it could go 80 deep in a lot of ways. And um, so to be left off of the Dodgers 40-man roster is not a, a, a thing yeah. of shame. You know, you're not going to totally. wear a scarlet letter because you were left off the Dodgers 40-man roster. So, um, yeah, people were around the Pacific Coast League were very impressed with him last year. Um, I don't think it was just an aberration of playing in a lot of parks like Albuquerque and Vegas and Reno where you're getting, you know, that thin air. Um, he had good numbers in double A as well. The A's have seen him a ton because the Dodgers and the A's are in a lot of the same uh, leagues together in the minor leagues. So, uh, you know, they have a long book on him and why not give it a try. If it doesn't work out by September, we'll see Tyler. So, you know, I think that's, that's sort of the, the way that, I, that they can approach it. But I think it's good to bring someone in who's a real first baseman because, um, I think that was something that was sorely missed with the roster last year. Well, you've covered this game for a long time. I mean, you know as well as anybody. Sometimes you, you think it's great to be in the Dodgers organization. Well, sometimes it's kind of a curse. You're blocked. I mean, you think about the run that the A's had in the 80s, bringing up all these rookies of the year. The Dodgers had that uh, in the 90s where they had a bunch of rookies of the year. But, I mean, sometimes you get in one of these organizations and – doesn't matter what you do. There's there's somebody playing at the big league level in your position, and you're not going to move that guy. Yeah, I mean, that's why the Rule 5 draft exists. The Yankees used to be able to field, like, three big league rosters based on the guys they were hiding down there in the minor leagues. And, you know, it got to a where it was literally unfair because somebody would be sitting there and Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle and everybody else is ahead of them, and there's no – you know, you could be Roger yeah. Maris, and you're not going to get out there for a while, right? So – um, absolutely. I think that's, uh, you know, that's part of why this exists. It's part of why the Dodgers have been so successful is that they can trade off and, and lose guys in the rule five draft and really not feel it. And that's where I think every organization sort of strives to be. You have never swayed away from believing in Tyler Soderstrom. You've always, <laughs> every single time on you have said it. I, I think he, I think he's a prodigy. He's been, he's been groomed to be this guy we all remember his dad. I played against his dad in college. His dad went to Fresno State, was the number one pick by the Giants. Um, he's been playing against – his dad's been training all these kids in the Valley. Tyler's been playing against all of them. I mean, he's meant to do this, and you believe in it. Like, are we really going to wait till September? Or, I mean, there, could this be a lot earlier? Yeah, I think it depends on when he's ready, right? Like, they're not going to base what they're doing – on a timeline that's different than what's best for Tyler at this point, because, um, you know, ultimately they're not going to win the world series this year. You're welcome to print that and, and make t-shirts of it. If they do end up winning the world series, <laughs> I think I'm pretty safe to say they're not going to win the world. Series. Did you just so, give us bulletin like, board material? Go ahead. Put it all the way up there. We're <laughs> against <laughs> Melissa. She's against us. We're going to rally the troops. And spring. We're going to have pictures of you all over spring training. She said yeah. we don't have a chance. <laughs> they're going to put it up in Georgia's uh, clubhouse first and then they're going to go into ours, you know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, so Tyler's going to start the year in AAA and if he's hit 
30 homers by, you know, July 1st, there's, yeah, no reason why you wouldn't see him in July. He is still really young. He's only had three weeks of AAA time. There is value in getting, you know, time at that level. I think there's also value in seeing if the improvements he continues to make at catcher would make him somebody who could play 25% of the games there so that you kind of have an interesting way that you could play with the backup situation to Shea and have him play some first base and some catcher. Um, so, you know, there's reasons for him to be there, but um, when he's ready, they'll open the doors for him. You know, we've been through a lot of trades over a lot of years, but I got to tell you, when my phone buzzed and I just saw that Cole Irvin had been traded to Baltimore, because I've been trying to figure out, and you've done a piece about the rotation, I've been trying to – put together a story here like well you know you get 30 starts out of Cole close to 200 innings okay you get this out of Blackburn okay Waldachuk's growing up now we got Fuji in the mix you know I like Sears like you start putting this together like we got something and when I saw that it like broke my heart he's great for our show he came on Ace Cast Live all the time we love him to death uh, just how tough was that when you found out that Cole Irvin got shipped to Baltimore? Yeah, I was having lunch with my mom. So I was definitely not in a like frame of mind of like, yeah. oh, a trade's coming and I'm going to focus on this. Um, you know, my my feeling is like entering a, a season without a guy that you can kind of hang your hat on making 30 starts and not getting beat around the ears when he's out there. Um, is dangerous, you know, like in, in, in that sense, like you, you want to have one guy that you can kind of count on like that. And it is hard to look at the group they have now and, and say that you can hang your hat on someone from a talent perspective. Was he probably the, among the top five most talented starters among the group they have? And Kyle Muller is another one you want to throw in there as well, but um, you know, maybe not, but he's proved it, you know, and there's so much that hasn't been proven yet with the group that they've got. There's just a lot of pieces that are going to have to move together to, you know, get to 162 games because you've got so many guys that haven't made 30 starts in the last couple of years. Um, it, it, you know, it is, it is interesting. If they're going to be creative, I think it can work, right? Like if they're going to maybe go with a piggyback sort of situation where you have like AJ Puck and, and Fuji starting on the same day where you're going to expect both guys to go four innings or you're going to do some other creative things where some guys spend some time in the bullpen and then come back to the rotation and you have maybe eight or ten starters throughout a year you know then it could work but they haven't really done that or shown a willingness to do that kind of thing the way the Rays maybe have in, in recent years so I'm a little skeptical that that's going to happen but we'll see I mean you know they brought in uh, a new bullpen pitching coach they brought in some new infrastructure for the way that their pitching development is going. So even though they're not saying it, uh, you know, that could be an indication that there are some new ways of looking at how they're going to manage a rotation that this could, you know, lead us towards. Well, the title of your article, Oakland A's 2023 starting rotation outlook can upside make up for lack of experience. As you said, lack of experience is scary because in the end you have to get 162 starts. There's a ton of outs. We have it's 4,374 outs, not counting extra innings that you got to get during the year. So you need 4,374 outs. You need 162 starts. Where do you find that on this 40-man roster? Yeah, I mean, looking at this right now, it's going to be a 10-man job, not a five-man job. You know, you look at, like, what Seattle did last year and basically used the same five starters if you – assume you know Luis Castillo being coming in and, and taking over that fifth starter spot was you know a kind of a continuity thing but 
you're, you're not going to have that. There, there's, there's zero chance of that. I mean, even if Puck and Fuji are as healthy as can possibly be, you don't imagine they're going to go more than 120 innings, I wouldn't think, just based on the workloads they've had the last couple of years. Um, you know, you're looking at Paul Blackburn and James Caprillion coming off of injuries. I mean, so if 10 guys can give them 120 solid innings, then, you know, I mean, that, that's my, my, my math's not good, but you know what I'm saying? Like something like that's going to have to be the way it goes. And, and that is how the Rays manage their rotation. I mean, you look at, if you go on baseball reference, it's remarkable. They didn't have one guy go over 160 innings last year and they had the best pitching staff, arguably in the American league. Um, but you have to be willing to live with that sort of like creative flow in and out sort of situation into a rotation and not be kind of married to the traditional five man um, setup. And and I just don't know if they're able to do that yet. We'll see. Pro- problem with the Rays, they're an outlier. They're not the norm. So, I mean, they've no, been, they've been right. able to do it, but trying to do it like them, I don't know. And I just, you know, what's going on with Blackburn? I get Caprillion is never healthy. He's never been healthy his entire, since he left UCLA. Blackburn this is not elbow. This is not shoulder. This was a finger. Everything's been pretty murky. So I, you have questions going in like, what's going on? Fingers get fixed. Why are we still worried about him injury-wise? Yeah, I, I don't know if we're worried so much as, um, you know, I think this is the second time he's had a finger thing. I think that rookie year didn't get interrupted by he broke a finger. I don't know if the two are related, you know, so – um, but there is a lot of feel that comes from, you know, the ball coming off your fingertips. And if there was any lingering nerve issues or whatever, you know, you could see that becoming an issue. I think the main thing is, do you believe that the Paul Blackburn we saw before the all-star break who, you know, made the all-star team is Paul Blackburn. And that what we saw after that leading into landing on the injured list was because the finger was already bothering him or, you know, is it kind of headed back to a mean that is not going to be what we saw at, at the first part of the year? Um, but yeah, I mean, if the if the finger's healthy and you know he's back to kind of where he was at the start of last year, you know, he's certainly capable of making thirty starts um, and more capable than probably anyone else. Just looking at this, with the exception of these rookies, like I mean, you know, Waldachek, Sears, Miller, they've all been you know, relatively healthy and pitched a lot of innings lately. So they could do it. It's just a lot to ask a rookie to say, Hey, you know, you're going to lead us with 32 starts this year. Right. So, um, but I, you know, I think with Paul, I, the, the real question is just, there was such a divergence in how good he was at the beginning of the year and then how he struggled leading into that injury. You know, what is the true him? At this point? Mueller has a p- complete game last year in triple a. Yeah, no, I mean, the future of the rotation is, you know, Mueller, Woldechek, and see what else kind of comes behind that. But, you know, in, in an ideal world for the A's, those two are the guys that are giving them a ton of innings, and then you maybe add a Mason Miller in there next year, and you're looking at a rotation that they hope to see uh, be more stable moving forward. I mean, I, 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 still, I still think this is a pretty big transition year from them. They're trying to see where their parts are going to fit best. I think, you know, making a decision before AJ Puck hits arbitration in terms of what value he brings to the team is probably uh, a little bit why they're you know, making a decision to, to give him a shot in the rotation. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot of talent there and a lot of pieces that they're hoping to have a better, you know, picture of uh, going into next season when, you know, maybe they can start building towards a winner. If you had to bet on it, who's taking the ball opening day? that's a good question um blackburn if he's healthy i think he earned it you know he's the he's your all-star right so 
um, you know, I, Cole was the guy I assumed would, would do it until that press release. So yeah. <laughs> I, I think Paul's probably it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was like, what? How do you trade him? Let's end on this. I want you to give me a wild card. Who have you been studying? Who you think at some point could come up and get a lot of, could be at bats, could be a lot of innings. Give me a wild card from the minor leagues that could play a, you know, not say a major role, but definitely play a role this year with the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, I think Jordan Diaz. I mean, you know, it's it's tough because they brought in these veterans that play his same positions, but man, he was really, really good last year. Um, really underrated as a hitter. I think he came up and more than held his own in his little stint in the big leagues. And he's been on fire uh, this winter. Um, and he's he's playing in the Caribbean World Series. He had a home run yesterday. Um, and, and this guy can just really hit. And they don't have a lot of guys that can just really hit. And I think so if he's able to get hot, you know, he's a, he's a guy you'll find a place for in the lineup because he can hit. Great stuff as always, and everything on The Athletic is fantastic. We hope to see you. Are you going down to spring? Not as of now. I'm not as set to go there, no. Well, then we'll see you at the Coliseum. Yeah, I will. I'll be at the Coliseum. Well, we'll be checking in during spring training because uh, nobody does it better than you. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.